This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. Good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. As usual, later in our show, we'll have a look at some of those little business tips that will help uh, grow your business. We're also talking with Brett Gleeson from the Lake Macquarie Business Centre about those steps that we need to do to set up a business. But right now, we're going to have a chat with uh, Craig McGregor from Hunter Recruitment Group and Retain HR about the Fair Work Australia. Good afternoon, Craig. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you going today? I'm good, and yourself? Yeah, not too bad. It's beautiful well, up here in lovely East Maitland. Well, we, th- we thought we'd have a chat with you again, because although uh, the Fair Work has been around now for nearly a year, there's still a lot of uh, misunderstanding or, n- or not even aware of the existence of it. So, um, first of all, who's covered by Fair Work Australia? Yeah, it, it, you, you're right. Most small businesses these days in particular are, are still trying to come to grips with the, the new legislation. And look, uh, now that we're almost at the end of 2010, the, the probably the best way to answer that question is who isn't covered by Fair Work Australia Act. And it's, it's pretty much if you're in the, the state public sector or in local government employment, then then you'll be still in the, under the, the New South Wales Industrial Relations Act. However, you know, any um, constitutional corporation or private sector employment effective from January 1 this year um, is all swept into the new Fair Work Australia Act or the federal system. And some of the state ones are covered by the Fair Work as well, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. In particular, um, the national employment standards yes. have come into play. Um, yeah, everyone's pretty much uh, covered by those these days. Well, so tell us a little bit about the national employment standards. Well, the National Employment Standards are pretty much the Ten Commandments that we all need to abide by uh, when we're coming to to work each day. And from an employer perspective, they're pretty much the rules that govern us around things um, related to leave, um, annual leave, personal leave, those sorts of things. So uh, if you look at them individually, you look at the the Ten ten NES entitlements, uh, maximum working week hours. So uh, the government have, have decreed that 38 hours is our maximum working week. Uh, the next one is the request for flexible working arrangements, which gives parents or carers of um, uh, under school age children the ability to request to their employer um, to have more flexible working arrangements or hours. Uh, parental leave and the related uh, entitlements are swept into the, the 10 national employment standards. And then we have uh, annual leave, uh, which is the four weeks paid leave for um, non-casual uh, employees. The old sick leave has, has been sort of uh, removed and, and, and uh, replaced with what they call personal or carer's leave, compassionate leave, which gives uh, employees an entitlement of 10 days personal or carer's leave and two days unpaid carer's leave if required and also two, paid, two days uh, unpaid uh, for casuals and paid leave for uh, compassionate reasons. So sick um, leave is included in that? That's correct, yeah. yeah it it's all comes under that one banner now of of personal and carer's leave rather than calling it sick leave and, and having a separate mm-hmm. segment there for, for the rest. So um, The other ones are community service leave, uh, the standard long service leave and also public holidays. So you must pay uh, people on public holidays where they are asked to work. And the last two are the notice, notice, notification on termination and redundancy pay, which has probably been one of the bigger changes, and also the provision of the fair work information statement, which is a real simple one that most people neglect and, and forget. So, and, and that involves actually handing out that, that particular statement or, or making you 
in your new employees aware of it. What what what's really involved there? Yeah, exactly that. And and look, my advice to to most small businesses make this part of your induction program. So put it as part of your checklist. You can download the uh, information sheet from the, the Fair Work site, which is fairwork.gov.au. It's a, a two-pager that basically outlines those 10 NES um, requirements. It's just an information sheet for new employees, and under that legislation, you're obliged now to, to hand that over to new employees, preferably before they start, but reasonably uh, within a short time, reasonably after they start. So as make it part of your induction program when you sign someone up when they're going through the process of filling out their bank account details, all those sorts of things. Um, a good example is you'd need to give uh, employees the choice of superannuation now mm-hmm. as well. So mm-hmm. there's a form there that the government um, gets you to fill out, make the Fair Work Information Seat another, another form that you give to them as part of the induction program. Now, you were mentioning earlier off-air that uh, a particular company has been in trouble with their uh, interviewing techniques. Uh, got some advice there for recruiting and, and, and uh, particularly interviewing. Yeah, I, I found a, a case there that I read yesterday. It was quite interesting. It was a Queensland case, and it was around a, a small employer. They manufacture um, school uniforms, and uh, they were recruiting for a stores person, and the owners of the business had sort of delegated that, that responsibility to one of their administration staff. And um, there's a couple of different um, issues there that, one, the administration staff actually felt, in, in the case notes, felt quite uncomfortable in the role of doing this uh, recruitment process. But also her lack of skill and lack of knowledge led to a bit of a discrimination issue where she asked some questions around um, you know, an individual candidate's age, but also... Um, genuinely thought that she was um, breaking the ice or making the the candidate feel a bit more comfortable in the interview by asking him about his kids and some of the other things, um, personal issues that probably are in breach of the anti-discrimination laws. And she also went on to ask him some uh, questions around sick leave that he'd taken in uh, previous jobs. And this candidate then sought um, some damages and compensation for around about $5,000, so it wasn't a, a large claim, but the uh, member of the tribunal in Queensland for, uh, ordered the, uh, didn't order, but recommendation was that the um, the business conduct some training around HR and interview skills for people that were going to be involved in that process, um, and also ordered them to make a, a written apology to the candidate. They did make note that the, um, the process that they took was fair and reasonable, and that the candidate would not have got the job um, due to some other candidates who had uh, experience that was greater and more in line with the role that they were looking for. So the damages of $5,000 weren't ruled on. But it's just a pretty simple one that I think most small businesses probably do neglect that there is any discrimination laws out there that they need to be aware of. And um, you know, this one could have gone in a different direction depending mm. on how the company had, had, had dealt with it. Now, you made the mention that they, they asked about the number of sick days. Are, are people allowed to ask uh, about workers' compensation, whether people have been on workers' comp? No, there, there is a discrimination law there that okay. says you can't. Um, however, look, there, there are means and ways of getting around those things in terms of um, reference checking. Yes. Um, you can ask about safety, safety experience and um, how the person had worked and how they took training and direction when you're doing the reference checking or the next stage of, of recruitment rather than directly asking that in the interview process. Hmm. I, I know uh, I often tell people that the interviewer is probably more more afraid than the interviewee at some of these 
presentations, uh, and I presume that there is uh, help and training out there for people to, if they, particularly if they're doing it a lot. Yeah, most definitely. There's a, there's a number of good good um, government organisations that offer, offer training in these spaces. There's non-government organisations, but there's also you know, people like myself that, that offer yeah. um, significant skills in that area. Yeah, I mean, often people just get thrown in the deep end and have to conduct that interview and, uh, uh, you know, there's no sort of checklist. That's right. And if you're a small business owner, delegating that responsibility to someone like in this case in, a, in an admin capacity, um, two things that you're doing, you're, you know, you're putting yourself at risk because it's your business that will get um, slugged with the uh, discrimination claim, but you're also putting an employee into a situation that they don't really feel comfortable in and don't really want to perform in. So mm. um, how, you know, how that bodes in keeping that employee happy in their work, workplace um, it could go, go to a way of losing that employee as well as um, having a discrimination case on your hands. So, mm, yeah. yeah. Well, we might actually uh, address that at another interview uh, and, and actually go through some of the steps that we could do at an interview. Sounds great. Happy okay. to help. Thanks very much for your time, Craig. We'll talk to you Thanks again another time. Thanks, Julian. Thank you. Bye-bye. Craig McGregor there from Hunter Recruitment Group, helping us to understand the Fair Work Australia. You're listening to Business, The Law and You on 2NURFM 103.7. Time to have a chat with Brett Gleeson at Lake Macquarie Business Centre. Good afternoon, Brett. Hi, Julian. Thank you for uh, your time again this afternoon. We're going to have a look at the steps of setting up a business. Where where do we start? Well, it's, it's getting into business is fairly complex and it's not an easy task to do it and, and do it right. So... Um, uh, it can be a bit, uh, a bit you know, complicated and frustrating, but uh, you always start with the vision. What, what is a business going to do and what's its purpose? And, and obviously, apart from making a profit, which all businesses need to do, uh, what, what are they, you know, what's going to be the purpose of the business and, and who's going to make that, uh, that vision uh, a reality? That's uh, another thing to consider. Um, and what is the product uh, or the service that the business is going to uh, produce or provide? Then you look at things like the customers, like uh, who are they, uh, where will they come from, and you, know, you need to look at things like gender, and uh, is it, you know, if you're selling lipstick, then obviously it's, it's uh, you know, a female product only, if it's a male product only, if it's uh, for a particular age group uh, or a particular income bracket, so if you're looking at luxury cars versus uh, a consumable product, uh, all these sort of things you need to consider, and uh, and how will, the, how will these customers find you? Will they find you on the internet? Will they find you in a retail setting or a wholesale setting or an industrial setting? Uh, and how easily can they access your uh, your product? And how will you get your product to to your customers? Do you need someone else to uh, to distribute, distribute for you or display for you? So well, it's quite complex. Uh, and uh, you know, you think about you know things like you know is is your product seasonal um, and does it have a particularly you know, does it have a shelf life or is there a low turnover a high turnover and uh, that sort of sort of things that you need to you know, sort of uh, you know, to think about. Well, I've, I've got all those thoughts in mind and I've done a little bit of research, so I think I will start this business. What do I need to do? More research. <laughs> <laughs> so, so really, if you if you got that stage and you're serious about it, then you need to do some more research and uh, start developing a, your business plan uh, and. Uh, Think about you know where your market's going to be. Uh, get your business plan produced. Now you can either produce that yourself. You can go on to uh, there's some websites, uh, particularly the uh, the government uh, sorry business.gov.au website is a very good one. Uh, and or places like you know, the, the business enterprise centres uh, can help. But also your, your accountant or business advisors can also assist you with the uh, your business plan. 
I guess the thing I'd like to emphasize is that it has to be your business plan. Mm. Um, it's I don't advocate that you get someone to write your plan for you because then it's not your plan. It's their mm. plan. So rather than pay someone to write a plan for you, what you really need is someone to actually mentor you and facilitate the process for you. Mm. But at the end of the day, your best business will come from your plan, uh, and so you need to drive that yourself and don't uh, abdicate that responsibility to um, to somebody else. So uh, that, that's my much preferred uh, process and uh, and with that business plan also we come your, you know, your financial projections um, and you'll need to do some more research here in terms of you know, what income you're likely to uh, produce and uh, you know, what, what's your, um, you know, your selling price going to be and what's your break even point going to be uh, and where's, where's your margin and uh, you know, when you get to that point you're getting pretty, you know, you're pretty serious about uh, you know, uh, going into the business. It uh, sounds pretty challenging, and uh, and and, the, and of course the uh, number of businesses that don't aren't successful in the first year is quite high. Why do we see so many people starting a business? I think it's because uh, it's that lure of you know, maybe working for yourself, or you are very passionate about uh, a particular product or a service that you've got something that you think that you can help to uh, make the world a, a better place. Uh, and you know, so anything from being your own boss to actually the motivation of actually making some money for yourself. If you're going to be an employee, uh, then that's good, but you're going to be limited to the income you're going to get from that sort of nine to five type of job. Uh, and if you get out and, and be entrepreneurial and have a go for yourself, well, there is potential that you will make more money. Uh, uh, there are also more risks involved as well, but uh, that law of being your own boss and running your own business and doing your own thing uh, and making and making some good money is uh, is very attractive to a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people ask me when they're going to go into business: Is there any assistance, but particularly financial assistance, help out there? Well, there's not a lot of assistance. You know, you go into business to make money, so therefore you need to sort of do a lot of it yourself. But you can get assistance uh, through you know, places like like business enterprise centres. That's what why we're set up to uh, to help people. Um, uh, sort of do the right thing from the start and, and minimise the risk that you uh, might you know, you know, not do it do it right. Uh, if you're um, on a government subsidy or unemployed, then the, the NEETS program, the New Enterprise Incentive Scheme, is there for people to uh, move out of uh, that situation and into a, a business. And uh, those uh, places are, are, are uh, becoming available again next year, we, we hope. So uh, we're waiting for our allocation for next year, and that's a good way for people to, to move into business. Uh, through a very structured process mm. uh, and help them help along the way. So uh, there is there is some assistance, but uh, I'd have to emphasise that you know, you've got to make it happen yourself. If you want the business uh, that badly, then you've got to make it yourself. There are not necessarily any government handouts as such, though sometimes if there are particular industries that the government want to support or things like relocation and decentralisation, if those things meet government priorities, then there can be some, some help. Mm. Uh, but it's not normally for the, you know, for the, the, local, the, the local little, small, small medium-sized business. So uh, normally you've got to make it happen yourself. Mm. All right. Well, thanks very much for your time again. Next week we're going to have a look at the business life cycle and how businesses have to keep reinventing themselves. Yeah, that's an interesting story, that one. Yes. Yeah, sure. All right. Thank you very much for your time. Right. Thank you, Julian. Brett Gleeson there from Lake Macquarie Business Centre, helping us to understand the steps we need to take to uh, set up a small business. Well, now we'll have a look at uh, some of our business tips, and again, we're taking them from the Harvard Business Review. This one here, three tips of failure to avoid. Innovation experts have long argued that companies should be more tolerant of failure. 
but not all failure is created equally. Here are three types of failures that rarely contribute to learning and should be avoided whenever possible. Firstly, knowingly doing the wrong thing. When a project falls apart because someone hid information or mislead others, uh, any learning is moot. Failure is only acceptable when the project was done with good intentions. Secondly, failing to gather the right data. Often failure can be avoided by doing some simple research, asking target customers for input or testing an idea before launching it. And thirdly, prioritising research over experience. Some things are unknowingly uh, about, uh, sorry, some things are unknowable without real life experiments. Don't waste resources or researching a theory when you can create a prototype or conduct an experiment that will give you a more realistic answer. That's taken from a little book, When Failure is Intolerable by Scott Antony. What about three ways to better support your people? There are countless distractions, threats and roadblocks to getting work done. Good bosses take pride in shielding their people from these annoyances. And here are three ways you can help your employees focus on what matters. Showing up on time. One of the biggest distractors from work is wasted time. This might be time your people spend waiting for you to show up to meetings or to give needed direction. Being important doesn't give you permission to impede productivity. Secondly, stop the interruptions. Set aside time when your employees can think and work and not be expected to respond right away to voicemail and email. And thirdly, let them have a good fight. Don't avoid conflict. Make your people feel safe enough to speak their minds, even to you, so they have productive and creative disagreements. Taken from a book, The Boss as Human Shield by Robert Sutton. Thank you for being with me for the last half hour. Hope you enjoyed the program. We've looked at uh, Fair Work Australia and the importance of understanding that if you're an employee out there, employer out there. We've also spoken with uh, Brett Gleeson from the Lake Macquarie Business Centre about those steps for setting up your business. Next week we're going to have a look at the stages of your business cycle with Brett Gleeson from the Lake Macquarie Business Centre. We'll also examine, examine mediation in estate planning with Sonia Anderson from Tranta Lawyers. And, of course, we'll have a look at some of those business tips again. I'd love your company at the same time for business, the law and you. Until then, have a safe and prosperous week. And remember, focus your passion on your vision.